for the word. Thank you, Carolina. Hey, good morning. Why don't you stay standing? Stay standing. Thanks, guys. All right, I want you to spin to the person on your, let's go left, and give them the cheesiest grin you can muster. Come on, big cheesy grins. Big cheesy grins. I'm talking about joy this morning. Come on, let's give them a big cheesy grin. Turn to the other person. I saw that person snob you. Go the other side. Give them a cheesy grin. All right, grab a seat. You're looking awesome this morning. Well, we're coming into a new theme being July and... um, the theme for July is counterculture. Everyone say counterculture. Counterculture. Countercultural, being in the world but not really of the world. Being in the world but not really of the world. Different. Being countercultural. When the world does one thing, usually the word of God is completely the opposite. Uh, last year when we did this theme, we called it the upside-down kingdom, that the things of God are just seem to be upside-down, back-to-front, inside-out, um, but actually that those principles work. And like Sam was saying, you know, we um, ascribe to the, the principles of heaven and somehow our lives are blessed. And so we're talking about being countercultural, and there's this passage of scripture that's been floating around my world in recent weeks. And just this week as I was preparing for this morning's message, it all settled. You know when the dust settles and everything makes sense. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Isaiah 61. And I want to read the first three verses. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison doors to those who are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And I want to camp today around verse 3. To comfort, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Talk about countercultural. Countercultural. I want to talk about the character of Jesus. Jesus, who is the giver of joy, and um, that he turns bitter things into sweet, that he turns mourning into happiness, that he turns mourning into dancing, that he replaces a spirit of despair for a garment of praise. I mean, how countercultural is that? Scholars tell us that when you look at that, he actually dresses us in party attire right in the midst of our grief. So in the midst of our grieving, he puts a crown on our head, he anoints our faces with oil, and he puts on a garment of praise. 
He replaces our grief and our sorrow and dresses us for celebration. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of grief, in the midst of grief. In ancient Hebrew times, when someone was um, grieving, they would put ash on their heads, in their hair and on their face. And he's saying, where there once was ash in your grieving, I'm going to put a crown there instead. And I'm going to anoint your face with oil, your face that was just now stained with tears. And that spirit of despair that you're wearing like a cloak, I'm going to replace that with a garment of praise. He flips our sorrow. He transforms our sorrow and he dresses us to party. And what's important for us to learn as I set this up for you is that the prophet Isaiah who wrote this wrote it um, 700 years before it actually took place. The prophet Isaiah wrote his book and his um, prophecy 700 years before the birth and life of Jesus. And so he wrote about all the events that were going to happen. He prophesied Jesus' birth. He prophesied the um, circumstances and the details surrounding Jesus' birth and his life and his death and his resurrection. 700 years later, um, particularly in the, New, in the New Testament, particularly in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where these four men write about the life of Jesus and his death and his resurrection, we see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stand up for the first time and make a public declaration. And what's the first thing he says in ministry? He opens up Isaiah 61 and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he recites the prophecy. Then he sits down and everyone's like gobsmacked and he sits down, Luke 4 verse 21 Verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said, today, scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And the reason this is important is because we have one word, but two different scenarios. We have a prophetic word, and then we have the embodiment of the word, and they're 700 years apart. And why that's important is because in order for you firstly to receive joy instead of mourning is you have to understand that Jesus is the giver of joy. You have to understand he is your liberator. You have to understand that until you meet Jesus, you are captive. You are a prisoner. Prisoner to what? Prisoner to the conditions of the earth? Prisoner to yourself? Prisoner to your temptations and your failings? Prisoner to everything that happens in you, around you, and to you, and by you, until you meet Jesus? And you know what? Joy comes when you realize that a liberator has come. Until then, you can live a partial joy, And just think about all the people in Scripture who had a partial joy. And today, 
you know, you only have to look around the world to see people who are filling their lives with placebos and counterfeits and things that give them a false joy. But it's the kind of joy that at heart is really still sorrow. Are you with me? Are you, are you actually brave enough to admit that? That in all of our filling and gorging on stuff, that the joy we kind of experience is actually at heart still sorrow. Think about, think about the woman at the well who had been married five times and now the guy she's living with is not even her husband and she meets Jesus and her life is transformed. Think about the rich young ruler who had everything and ticked every religious box and he met Jesus and he walked away discouraged because he wasn't willing to really encounter Jesus fully. Think about the woman with the past, with the sinful past, the reputation that everyone knew and she comes into the presence of Jesus and is overwhelmed with thankfulness and gives her most prized offering, perfume worth a year's wages and pours it out over Jesus. Think about, think about Nicodemus. Was it Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the tax collector, who had spent his life ripping people off and he meets Jesus and he's like, I'm going to repay everyone I've ripped off. In fact, I'm going to repay them fourfold. All these people who had filled their lives with partial joy, false joy, in accumulating stuff, and the world still does it. And at the heart is still sorrow until they met Jesus. And that's where the source of our joy comes from. Because it's only when you realize you've been set free that you're thankful for your liberator. Until then, there's no need for a liberator. Until then, there's no need for Jesus in your life. And we do meet people, don't we, who aren't ready to admit that they're not truly in a place of joy. They're happy to keep fasting at feasting on partial joy. But you know what? Every single person comes to a place where they admit, I'm captive, I need a saviour. I need a saviour. And that is where our, our joy comes from. It's amazing. And that's the first thing we need to realise is that Jesus has come. He was the manifestation of Isaiah's prophecy. And he is the fulfillment of our joy. He is the source of our joy. Go ahead and try to do it without him and come back to me when you're ready to admit it's all in vain. Because without Jesus, the joy is partial. Fulfillment is partial. And, um, and so here we see that that it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is that source. It's amazing. And so then he turns beauty into ashes, into beauty. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning and garment of praise for a spirit of despair. Why? Why? Because he himself took on our sorrow. The man of sorrows became the transformer of our sorrows. He took it all on in our part. That's why he can. And how? I love this. And so with that as the backdrop, with Jesus as the foundation this morning, how does he transform your sorrowful situation into a joyful situation? 
How does he, how do we as Christ followers live countercultural lives when the world bends and breaks under the weight of disappointment and circumstance? How is it that a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, can be dressed to party in the midst of all of that? And so the crux of my message today is this, is that Jesus transforms sorrow because he transforms the one who is mourning. He actually transforms us. He transforms my sorrow because he transforms me. The transformation is happening to the person, not so much the circumstance. It's not so much an operation on our circumstance as an operation on our person. The landscape may stay the same, but the filter changes. It's a small thing for God to change your circumstance. It's a much better, greater, and long-lasting thing for him to change you. The Bible, the Word of God, never promises that, you know, you're never going to go through anything after you meet Jesus. What it does tell you is that you can live a countercultural life and that you are transformed in your going through. In your going through, you're no longer bending and breaking under it. You're bearing it with joy and thanksgiving it. Thanksgiving. He transforms us. And so the source of our joy is no longer dependent on our external circumstances. Christians should not be devastated to the point of breaking when a circumstance happens. We have hope. We have joy that the world does not have. And so he transforms us. He transforms us. Philippians, Paul, Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, I mean, this guy, he does have major need, but he writes this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, For I can do everything through, there he is again, Jesus, our foundation, who gives me strength. Without him, you can't. With him, it's a different story. And so we need to understand that in all things, everyone say all things. All things. things. Not all good things. In all things, Romans tells us, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Say all things again. All things. things. Even the bad things. Even the sorrowful things. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When we have a revelation of all things then we have a gracious understanding of two things that I want to touch on quickly. And the first one is we understand seasons and we appreciate every season. Every season in life. Winter, spring, summer, 
autumn. You can't have winter, you can't have spring without winter. You can't have summer without autumn. You can't have day without night. And so when we understand all things, we appreciate and value every season. Every single season. Genesis 8.22 As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. I want you to consider right now a farm. Consider a ploughed field. What does it look like? What does the earth look like? It's scarred, isn't it? It's turned upside down. It's been carved into. It's hurting. It's broken. It's open and raw. But six months later, you can't even recognise that field because of the crop that's grown, the beautiful green crop that's blowing in the wind. Can I tell you that sorrow is the most beautiful forecaster for joy? The broken earth is completely unrecognizable six months later. And you cannot have a crop without a broken earth. I want to tell you today, understand your seasons and give thanks for winter. Give thanks for the plowing. Give thanks for the the trimming that God does in your life. Give thanks for the hardships that aren't initiated by God, but that God can work around for your good. Nothing is a loss in Jesus. In fact, he is the God Almighty. He is greater than every circumstance. He has a story and is writing a story for your life. He is not intimidated by your circumstance. We need to understand all things, all things, and be able to appreciate our seasons. Understand that sorrow is a forecaster for joy. Winter precedes spring, and you can't have one without the other. It's like the person who's suffering with a terminal condition, who builds up the courage to say, I'm a beneficiary of this condition. This condition helped me find God. This condition brought me to my knees. This condition made me seek health. This condition turned me around, rather than the person with the terminal condition who falls apart, but the person who understands all things. All things are in his hand. I have this hope. I have this joy. I have an understanding that is greater than my temporary experience. All things. When we know God works together for all things, we understand our seasons, we appreciate our seasons, and we smile through winter and we laugh at night. Amen? The second thing, it's all right, I wasn't expecting you to laugh and cheer today. the second thing, when we understand God works all things together for the good of those who love him, is that we have a greater perspective. A greater perspective. This circumstance you're in right now is just one moment in your whole lifespan. Have we got the little stick figure? What you're going through right now is just one blip in your lifespan. And sometimes you feel like you're partying. And other times you can barely stand up straight. But they're all just moments. 
in the big picture. And then if we look even further than that, your whole lifespan is just a blip in eternity. You understand perspective. You know, as a leader, as a young leader, I used to get really discouraged when people I was discipling would walk away from God. And I would take it so personally. And I think, where did I fail them and what did I do wrong? And I can honestly say that I'm the sort of person that never does anything 99%. I'll always do everything 100%. If I give you my time, I will disciple you the very best that I can. And so I would take it personally as a young leader and go, why is that person turned away? Where did I go wrong? Until God gave me this perspective. It's the, what they're doing now is just one moment in an 80-year lifespan. And you've planted seeds. One day someone else might see the harvest of what you've sown. Understand the perspective of your circumstance. Whatever you're going through right now is not the end. It's one moment. It's one moment in your story. And you have a choice to make. It's like choosing whether you're going to use a magnifying glass or a set of binoculars. You choose in your life whether you're going to dwell on and investigate and major on every tiny little drama and dramatic detail going on in your life. I suggest that's a really stupid option. (laughs) Or whether you'll take a bigger perspective. I'm not really into the dramatic detail. God's into that. He's got that sorted. I want to see something bigger. I want to see further. See further. I see you back there, Dan. Looking good. Which one? Which one? Which one? Please, honestly, I don't really have a gift towards counselling. If you come and sit with me with one of these, I'm very quickly going to shut you down. I can't stand this. Christians who are like, but she said this and he did that and it happened a hundred years ago, but I still know every tiny stupid detail. I want to hang around people who are like this. I can see that. That's where I'm going. I can see that. And I can see it clearly and I can, you know what? I might be here right now, but that's, that's where I'm going. Perspective. You choose which one you're going to look through. You choose which it's going to be. As Christians, the truth is we have a hope that the world does not have. The world's only option is this. Because they can't see with this. But we can. The Word of God is full of promise. Promise is a set of binoculars. Truth is a set of binoculars. This is a lie. This is temporary. This is eternal. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to be countercultural because we see through the eyes of faith, seeing that which is unseen, creating something out of nothing, seeing that which is unseen. This is the life of a Christian. 
It's amazing. It's an opportunity. We can see the big picture and find joy knowing that this is not the end, but a fleeting moment. Hebrews 6, we have run to God for safety. Yes, there are going to be hard times. I'm not saying there won't be, but you have somewhere to go and you have something to see. We've run to God for safety. Now his promises should greatly encourage us. Hello? His promises should greatly encourage you to take hold of the hope that is right in front of you. This hope is like a firm and steady anchor for our souls. In fact, it's a hope that reaches behind the curtain and into the most holy place. And here he is again. Jesus has gone there ahead of us and he's our high priest. Just follow him. (laughs) Just follow him. He's already gone ahead of us. We have a hope because of Jesus. And that hope, not our circumstance, is the source of our joy. Keep on believing in what you know is greater than the temporary. We have unspeakable joy. Peter writes, he says, we have this unspeakable joy. And it's because of Jesus. The world doesn't understand it. We have it. It's this unspeakable joy. Why are you so happy when this stuff's happening? Because I have Jesus. Because I have an answer, I have a hope. And he's the source of my joy. Zoom out, Braveheart. The view is amazing. Are you just that little car on the motorway, totally consumed by everything that's happening in your little car? Tyler, of my message is zoom out, Braveheart. Zoom out. The view is amazing. Zoom out. Time out. What does God see? What does God see in your circumstance? No. What does God see in your lifetime? What does God say about your children, about your health, about your finance, about the generations that will come after you? What does God say about your eternity? Zoom out. The view is amazing. If you know the story of Job, He's a guy who lost everything. He was a very wealthy man, sons and daughters and property, and a man faithful to the heart of God. (laughs) And God and the devil have a discussion. And pretty much the devil dares God, and God says, you know what, you will not, I guarantee you, you cannot turn Job away from me. You can touch anything in his life except his life. So the devil runs riot. He destroys all of Job's property. So he goes from being wealthy to being in extreme poverty. He loses his whole family. Sons, daughters die. And he loses his health. He is brought to the brink of death, but not death itself. 
I'm pretty sure you might be going through some stuff, but it may not be quite that bad. Okay. And Job has these friends around him who give him bad counsel. (laughs) And Job starts kind of questioning God. And as we're looking at this, I want to read you at the very end of the book of Job. The Lord comes to him and challenges him. The Lord answered Job, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. If you've been complaining today, you have to answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you think you know so much. Who determined the earth's dimensions and stretched out its surveying line? Who supports its foundations and who laid the cornerstone of the earth? Who kept the sea in its boundaries when it burst forth from the womb and clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked behind barren gates and I put it limited in its shores and I said, this far and no further will you come. You and your proud waves must stop here. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Have you caused the dawn to rise? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth and to bring to end the night's wickedness? Where does the light come from, Job? Where does the darkness go? Can you take each one to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course, you know all this because you were there before it was all created. And so you're very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of snow? Have you seen the storehouses of hail? Who creates the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for lightning? And who makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Does the rain have a father and who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? Can you direct the movements of the stars? Can you loosen the cords of Orion? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make them make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and direct it as you send it out? Was it you who gave the horse its strength and clothed its neck with a mane? Is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle rises to the heights and makes its nest? Look at the behemoth which I made just as I made you. <laughs> Have you visited... Um, Look at the behemoth that I made. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar tree. Its sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. The bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork and only its creator can threaten it. (laughs) Job 42. Then Job replied, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. You asked me, who is this that questions your wisdom with such ignorance? It was I. And I was talking about things I know nothing about. Things that are actually too wonderful for me. I'd only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. 
in verse 12, just before verse 12 of the last chapter of Job, God says, right, now that you understand who's boss, I want you to pray for your friends and bless your friends. And he does that. And then in verse 12, so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than the, than the first. And he gave Job more sons and daughters. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And he put his daughters into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, seeing four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long and full life. Where were you, dear friend, when he created the earth? Have you been to the storehouses of snow? Do you know where darkness goes or how to take it there? Why are you complaining about your circumstance when it's all in his hand? Zoom out, Braveheart. Zoom out. Stop majoring on the minors and understand, okay, he loves me so much. He loves me so much that this too can be used by him for my good. Not can be, but will be. Will be. Because I have Jesus. I have this hope. In the book of Psalms, David is is meditating on the greatness of God and he says, who is man that you should be mindful of him? And the writer of Hebrews draws that to our attention and he goes, remember when David wrote, who is man that you should be mindful of him? Hebrews 2 verse 7, you made us a little bit lower than angels for a while and you have crowned us with glory and honour and you have put everything under our power. God has put everything under our power and not left anything out of our power. But we still don't see it all under our power. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was also made lower than the angels. Why? Because of God's wonderful kindness. Jesus died for everyone. And now that Jesus has suffered and died, he is crowned with glory and honour. And everything belongs to God and all things were created by his power. So God did the right thing when he made Jesus perfect by suffering as Jesus led many of God's children to be saved and to share in his glory. Jesus and the people he makes holy all belong to the same family. That's why he isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The man of sorrow became the transformer of our sorrows. He loves us that much. And the final thing that I want to draw our attention to in verse 3 of our core text in Isaiah 61, that Jesus will provide for those who grieve in Zion, beauty for ashes, oil for mourning, praise for despair. But it says there, for all who grieve in Zion. In Zion. In Zion. Too many people turn away from Zion when they go through hardship. We get tired, so we go on endless weekend holidays. We're no longer found in the very place where we're going to be sustained and filled. 
we get hurt and so we turn our hearts away from the people of God, from the family of God. We, we, we turn away from our very source where that strength is because it says here, he will do this, he will turn sorrow into joy for the people who grieve in Zion. Grieve in Zion, in his presence, among his people, located in him. In him. Bring your grief into Zion. If there's anywhere you can take your grief, it is right here. This is the best and only place to bring your sorrow, to bring your hardship. This is the place for your soul to be filled, for your spirit to be reminded of the goodness and promise of God. In Zion, in Zion, I want to say this, grieve properly. There's actually a right way to grieve and it's in Zion, it's in Zion. Come home, come home and be countercultural. Allow him to transform you to transform you and as you are transformed and your filter changes and your view changes, your circumstance will eventually change. No season lasts forever, amen? Amen. Amen. But you can do a lot of damage if you don't grieve properly. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Father God, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for our source of joy that it is you, Jesus, and we want to set our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, that you did author our faith. There are many of us here this morning in a relationship with you. Lord, that there was one time where you authored that faith. Lord, and we want to be the ones who do the journey well. Lord, that you will also finish our faith and we will do the journey well in between. Father, I pray for any single person here this morning, Lord, who sees themselves in a circumstance where they're barely standing up straight. Father, that they will understand this is just but a fleeting moment in the story that you're writing. Father, that they will have the wisdom to understand that one day, one day in hindsight, this moment will be a cause for revelation and breakthrough and joy and celebration. Father, that they would have the wisdom not to fall apart right now. Lord, but the wisdom and the faith, the joy that is anchored in you, the hope that is an anchor for our soul. Father, that in this moment, Lord, that they would turn their face to Zion, that they would grieve in Zion in this moment, they would understand that this is a season, that you work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Father, in the days of winter may not pass quickly enough Lord Jesus, but that we will be diligent with winter. We will be diligent with the night. Father God, we will be diligent and joyful in every season, knowing, knowing that there is another season coming. Day is coming. And that we will be diligent with the night seasons. Lord, what is it that you want to teach us? There is not a single Christian that I've met, true Christian that I've met, who wouldn't say it was in my heartbreak that I actually met Jesus in a greater extent. It was in my hurt that I saw his face, that he spoke to me, that he built me, 
that he made me like bronze and steel and he encouraged me. It was in that moment that I saw him. When I was driven to my knees, I saw him. And I'm grateful for those moments in the dark on my knees where I see Jesus for who he truly is, the lover of my soul, endlessly good, always faithful, always faithful and just. This morning, what is that circumstance? What is that circumstance in your life? I just feel really strongly, if you're bold enough this morning to say, I'm going to put down my magnifying glass, I'd love for you to actually stand to your feet boldly. Awesome. I'm going to stop majoring on the minors. Just surrender that circumstance to God as you stand. In light of eternity, God, this is not going to take me out. I'm zooming out today. If that's you, continue to stand. I'm going to zoom out. I'm going to zoom out today. Maybe you just need to take a moment, just keep your eyes closed and just dwell. Dwell on the goodness of God. Let that circumstance pale in his presence. I'm zooming out. The view is amazing. The view is amazing. wants to put a crown of beauty where you once put ashes. He wants to anoint your face with oil where it was stained with tears. And he wants you to put on a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Throw off that spirit of despair right now. A garment of praise. As you look down from zooming out and you see the circumstance, will you praise him for the view? Will you praise him for his faithfulness? This hope that we have in Jesus who went in before us, made a way for us. Will you allow yourself to be transformed by his spirit? Transformed. Thank you, Jesus, that your spirit is here. Thank you that your spirit is here. Father God, I thank you, Lord. Thank you that one day we will have hindsight and we will look back into this circumstance and thank you for it. Bless you for it. Bless you for the great things that you will do through it. The revelation that we will receive in it. Father, I pray that you would give us enlarged hearts. Hearts that see more, that can can contain more, conceive more. Lord Jesus, Father, I pray against small thinking. I pray against the flesh that wants to pull us down into into the circumstance, Lord. I just lose faith, lose faith in the name of Jesus into these circumstances. And I prophesy breakthrough, but more than that, Lord, I prophesy transformation. Transformation, that we will be content with little and with much. 
because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength where the world doesn't have him, we have him and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand to our feet this morning? Lord God, Father, for every single person here this morning and there may be people here who do not know you yet. Father God, who want to turn their faces towards Zion. Lord, who want to come home. Father, we thank you that you are welcoming them home with open arms. Your invitation goes out. Come home, brave heart. Come home, brave heart. Come home, I'm waiting for you. There is reprieve from your circumstance. You can be set free from the captivity of self. Come home, brave heart. Come home, brave heart. Turn your face towards Zion. Be found among his people and in his family. Set your heart towards Zion this morning. Let's just worship God for a moment. While we meditate on your goodness. Yes, he is. Come on, speak it out. He never gives up.
good. Amen. Hang around long enough and you'll believe it. He is good. Endlessly good. Endlessly good. Hey, if you're here this morning and you want to take like another step in your walk with Jesus, maybe something stirred in you. And I may be speaking to someone who's heard this invitation a hundred times, but today you know that you need to do something about it. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. I want to tell you that you are home, that the heart of God is set towards you and He has greatness for you. But in order to be countercultural, you need to change a few things. Amen. He loves you just the way you are. Don't get confused. I'm not saying you have to be perfect. It's like saying, I'm going to lose weight before I go to the gym. Just come to Jesus. But what I'm saying is don't do it alone. And make sure you're accountable in relationship. So we want to meet you. We want to give you that opportunity to make this awesome. And the way to do that is at the Yes Desk. Or just say hi to someone with a tag on. We want to give you a free coffee. We want to sit down with you. We want to answer your questions. We want to get you on this discipleship journey. Amen. Sorrow into joy. Mourning into dancing. Bitter into sweet. Amen. So if that's you, make sure you head out to the Yes Desk. Connect with someone. We're going to go out praising God because that's what you do when you have a thankful heart and you have a good perspective. Amen. And we want to see you again at 5 o'clock tonight. We love you, church. Have an awesome afternoon.